it's hard to compare it because I always say like everywhere you go is beautiful. Part of the beauty is being there and experiencing it, you know. Um, and I think in terms of like mountainous scenery, Tajikistan in in Asia was probably the most spectacular. Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Hope you're having a good week so far. Uh, I know, I know I am. It's It's been a good week. It's been a lot of work, busy, but squeezing in some, some adventures here and there, some small ones. Got something to look forward to coming up, which I'm very excited about. I'm sure I'll have some stories, uh, some misadventure stories to tell about those once they happen. Uh, but today's episode is a throwback from a few years ago, quite a few years ago, actually, with Lyndon Poskett. This was hosted by Travis. Uh, he's into motorcycles, so he he did this one. This one's about racing motorcycles around the world, but not just, you know, flying somewhere, shipping your motorcycle there, and then racing and then going back. This is literally riding your motorcycle around the world to races. And in between races, you are riding your motorcycle. So, Lyndon's story, Lyndon's adventure is just incredible. And I love when you can mix adventure into something like this, where it has some structure, it has some framework, where he has to be at certain places to race. Uh, but in between, it's a total adventure. So you're going to spear about the multiple years he spent on the road doing this. Uh, and we should probably do an update with him because it sounds like he's still doing stuff like this and has done some really cool things since this podcast came out, including finishing this adventure, of course. But yeah, we, we should definitely have him on the show again. I, I'll, I'll have to reach back out. Uh, but before we jump right in, I wanted to tell you about the Restoration Depot. They are sponsoring today's show, and they have been uh, just gracious enough to sponsor the show for a few months now, which I absolutely appreciate. It's no surprise that we all need a little more fun in our life. We all need to have an engaging community, a healthy, fun community to be a part of. It's no surprise that that's getting harder and harder as time goes on with more people working from home, feeling less and less true connection with other people. It's really important that we find ways to do that in our life, and the Restoration Depot is offering that through online virtual classes. Uh, you know, a lot of this world is going to be virtual from now on, but that doesn't mean you have to do it alone. And that's where programs like the Restoration Depot come in. They offer classes, interactive classes, live classes about everything from intensati, djembe drumming, yoga, tai chi, meditation, unique parenting classes, mental health education, wellness and essential oil classes, all kinds of stuff like that with live teachers that you can interact with. And you can try your very first class by selecting first class special at checkout, and it's only $5. So if a healthy, fun, engaging community is something that you're looking for, like I pretty much am all the time, I would definitely encourage you to check out the Restoration Depot. Heck, you could ride your motorcycle around the world and still go to the same class with the same people every week. That's pretty cool to think about. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast. Lyndon Poskett is an accomplished motorcycle racer and mechanical engineer from North Yorkshire in the UK. 
Although happily employed as an engineer, a hospital stay caused him to rethink how he was spending his time. Lyndon is on the show today to tell us about his current journey called Races to Places, which takes him all around the world on his KTM rally bike. So, first of all, Lyndon, thanks for joining me. Welcome to the program. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, it's always good to share my experiences with other people. <laughs> Well, I love good motorcycle adventure stories, so this should be a, a fun conversation. So yeah. getting into it, let's start with you as a kid. Um, you started riding pretty young, didn't you? How did you end up uh, on motorcycles to begin with? Yeah, I started, well, not that young. I wish I'd have started younger. I started when I was 10 years old, um, and it was it was really, my parents were really reluctant to let me have a motorcycle, but I really wanted one. I'd just been watching it on TV. My my father wasn't into motorcycles or anything. I just wanted a motorcycle. Um, and so they let me have a trials bike for my 10th, I think it was Christmas around my 10th birthday. And uh, I got a trials bike and my dad, my parents basically said to me, if you can show us that you've got skills to handle a motorcycle on a trials bike, then you can have something faster because I wanted a motocross bike, but they weren't going to let me have that. They were, all they could see was broken bones and hospital visits. <laughs> yeah, so I got a trials bike and uh, I actually got very competitive and that's where I realized how, how much of a competitive person I was and I started getting better and wanting to go out every weekend practicing and trials riding and I just loved trials and I did it for six years. <laughs> so um, I didn't actually get onto anything with any speed until I was like 16, 17, really. Well, it's probably a good way to start the start slow and, and get the technical skill under you before you do get out there. So they were probably smart to make that call. Yeah. And it's a, it's a way that I recommend to a lot of my friends that are having kids now, you know, it's like, you know, get them a little, little electric trials bike or something, you know, keep it slow, let them get balanced and get used to riding before you get into anything with any speed and that. I don't regret it. I mean, I, I wish I would have started riding earlier, like when I was four or five years old or something, but um, it was a really good solid foundation. And now like balance is so good. Your balance becomes so good when you do trials riding that you just don't even think about riding the motorcycle anymore. You can concentrate on other things like navigation when you're rallying. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the motorcycle skills become second nature. Yeah. So while we're talking about trials, just to, for those that might not understand what the trials riding is. Yeah, trials riding is really, it's all about low, low speed maneuvering over obstacles. So it's just, you know, getting over logs and rocks and climbing waterfalls and all kinds of things like that. But typically it's all at speeds under like 20 miles per hour. You know, it's just, uh, it's all about balance and, and skill at getting up obstacles that are slippery or misshaped or something like that. So. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a really it's a really good best skill yeah, to absolutely. have. Absolutely. Yeah, my son, I got him into riding dirt bikes at ten years old. He's twelve now, so he's uh, been doing it for two years, yeah. and he's also recently picked up mountain biking. And I keep telling him on the single track trails that we ride is that your their skills on the mountain bike that you're developing now will translate perfectly into riding that dirt bike uh, quickly and and safely, yeah. and, and and allow you and to enjoy it a lot more than uh, than you might have in the first place. So I completely yeah. agree with. That, yeah. uh, that methodology for sure and i did a lot of um bmx mountain biking all kinds of stuff like that just just to train when i couldn't go on the motorcycle you know just to practice balancing and all stuff like that yeah absolutely all right so let's talk about competition then so you started riding at 10 you started competing in trials and then you graduated to ultimately competing in races like the dakar rally and and stuff like that so let's go into that a little bit uh, how did you end up there and then 
how is it you ended up on the road now? Uh, it took a long time to get to the Dakar Rally. And, you know, I was 32 years old when I did the Dakar Rally. And I look back at all the things that I did uh, in the past. And now it's apparent that it was just a clear journey to get to the Dakar Rally. And that wasn't in my mind that I could ever do the Dakar Rally. Um, I just... You know, I love motorcycles, and I've raced in seven different disciplines of motorcycle now, so or competed in, should I say. So I've done, like, trials, motocross, enduro, supermoto, uh, desert racing, road racing. So I've done a bit of everything, and, and I did all of those in the run-up before the, doing the Dakar. So, you know, I think my favorite probably was supermoto racing. I raced supermoto um, for three years in Great Britain, um, did a little bit in Europe as well. Um, and, and it was, it was really, I'd done a bit of trials, a bit of motocross, a bit of enduro, supermoto, road racing. Um, and then I moved to the USA and I moved to Texas to work for Lockheed Martin as a contractor for a few years. Uh, I was an aerospace engineer and that was when I was 20, was it 25, something like that. Um, and when I moved to Texas, I, I basically wanted to do some traveling, so I bought myself a 950 Adventure, and I started a KTM 950 Adventure, and I started traveling a bit. And it was when it was while I was in the USA, and that I did my first desert race, which was the Baja 1000 in 2007. Uh, so like nine years ago now, eight or nine years ago was my first desert race, and I absolutely loved it. And I was like, this is like brings everything together. Like it's got the speed, it's got the technical parts. It's got riding in all different places. It's got night. It's got day. It's got everything. Like, and I love this stuff, you know. Um, and that's how I realized that I really wanted to do more desert racing. So when I eventually, I didn't do much more in the U.S. But when I, I, I then got sent back to the U.K. Um, or should I say, my job expired here, and I went back to the U.K. and uh, and I started racing rally and did the U.K. Rally Championship. Did some European events. And then it was apparent that, okay, I need to make this happen. It's a dream I've wanted for so long. Like, I've got to go do the Dakar Rally. And uh, and I started putting it in, into a place, you know, and it's just a massive machine. Like, trying to understand for the first time how to even get there is a is a mammoth task. And, and eventually I put it together and went and did it. And thankfully I had a successful race. And, and that was kind of the pinnacle. That was like the top of everything I'd done. Um and so then I get onto the story about, well, how did you end up traveling then? Uh, so I did the Dakar Rally. I wanted to do it again. I had a successful race, finished 46th overall. I got a top 10 stage finish. And my plan was to go and do it again. But my bank balance definitely wasn't going to let me do it again. That's <laughs> not so cheap, is it? No, no. So I decided that, okay, it's not realistic to do it again yet. Um, I need to do something different so my plan was to do a different something I haven't competed in before so I decided to do some extreme enduro so I started to train at extreme enduro and I was planning to do Romaniacs Red Bull Romaniacs in 2013 in the expert class so I was training pretty hard doing some crazy stuff and one of my friends at work says you need to be fit for this game like you should start running and I was like, yeah, I'm not really into running. I'm, I'm quite a well-built guy. I don't really run well. And he's like, I can train you to run well. I was like, okay. So we started to run together. And he said, hey, you should do your first marathon. 
It's like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Let's do a half marathon. So we got set up to do this marathon, which a week before Red Bull Romaniacs. Um, and I didn't train as much as I should. And I was busy getting the bike ready for Romaniacs. And I just kind of blew it off. Oh, I can go do it, no problem. And I'm really competitive. So I got to the start the morning of the race and I wasn't feeling too good. I had a headache and, and I just thought, ah, oh, it'll be right once I get going. So I got running and I got to 11 miles. And I, and I was on my personal best and I was chasing like the next person in front of me because I'm really competitive. And I thought, I don't really feel too well at all. And I started to trip up over curb stones and stuff. And that's the last uh-huh. thing I remember. I was completely out. Um, and you know, I owe my life to the paramedics that kind of brought me around at the side of the track and got me to hospital quickly. And I was nine days in hospital and I was in a bad way. And I basically just completely, my, my mind was stronger than my body and I just completely overdid it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, daft as it sounds, I almost killed myself. Um, so I missed Red Bull Romaniacs and I was lying in hospital thinking, well, that was close shave. Like, what do I want to achieve out of life before something like that happens again? <laughs> And I was like, oh, I've always wanted to go riding a motorcycle around the world, um, but I probably can't do it. So I started looking on the internet and reading about blogs of people that have done it and how much does it cost and how cheap can you do it and thinking about the bike that I wanted to use and everything. And I just made the decision there and then that I've worked for 17 years and I don't want to do it anymore. I want to go do something different. Um, I want to go and experience life um, and travel the world and uh, so I'm going to sell everything that I own and go and do it. And that's how it came about. So it's a long story, but that's how it came about. No, what a great story, though. I love the, uh, I mean, the fact that you ended up in the hospital, that's not a good thing, but it really made you, it sounds like it made you pause and think, you know, in an already busy life, you're doing all these races. And I mean, the Red Bull Romaniacs is, is not an easy race. You don't walk into that lightly. So no. you got all this going through your head and this preparation and everything, and, and you hadn't been able to stop and actually ponder what it is you want to do life. So it actually slowed you down and, and led you in a direction that seems pretty, pretty darn cool. Yeah, I look, at, I look at everything that happened before the decision to do this um, and it just all kind of falls into place. There was numerous things that happened and it just it just fell into place and I realized it's just time to stop and think about what you want to achieve. Uh, I would encourage anyone to do that because, you know, time just rattles by and when I thought about it, wow, I've been with the same company for 17 years. Like, wow, <laughs> that's a long time. Right on. Okay, so you've decided to ride around the world. You put uh, put together, on paper at least, your dream bike. Um, first of all, what's the, the bike that you chose to go on, and how did you come about it? So the bike that I chose, so I'd raced the Dakar Rally on a 450 Rally KTM, um, factory rally bike, um, and I really, really liked the chassis of the bike and the suspension and the setup and how the bike works in all the sort of off-road conditions that I like to ride. Um, and I realized the bike was light because it was a single cylinder. And I'd been riding a KTM, excuse me, I'd been riding a KTM 950 um, through Morocco and off-road and all over the world. I've been through Baja and Mexico, Copper Canyon and all over the place. And I just realized that 
I wanted something newer than my 950 Adventure, and I probably wanted something lighter so I could go to more places on my own without worrying about not being able to pick the bike up or getting stuck or something like that. So uh, I knew it was going to be a single cylinder, which is a radical change for me because I was well known for like riding big twins and stuff. And um, so I decided that it was probably going to be a rally bike chassis because I like it so much. And the previous model to the 450 was a 690. So I started scouring around to find one of those and I found a well-used one and thought, right, I'm going to get that and totally rebuild it. I need to modify a lot of things. You can't fit a luggage rack to the 690 rally, so I need to change the rear fuel tank and fit a luggage rack and modify this, that, and the other and all this stuff. And and it just started to come together like that, really. And it took me four months from getting the bike to having it ready to go on the trip, and that was with a full rebuild, like everything. So um, and and working at the same time, I still had my job at that time. So. Right, right. Yeah, and you did all this rebuild yourself. And when you talk about rebuild, it's not you're you're not dropping parts off at the shop. I mean, you have some pretty pretty serious mechanical skills. Yeah, I just did everything. The whole bike, nut and rock, bolt rebuild from the ground up, everything. Um and and just built this bike which got called Basil as uh I lost my grandfather as I was kind of just a, shortly before this trip and uh long story short, his his private number plate ended up on my bike. <laughs> so I named the bike after him, and I've been carrying that license plate around ever since. Uh, That's cool. I like that. It's very fitting. So why did you end up calling this uh, Races to Places? Yeah, uh, another long story, I'm afraid. (laughs) I wanted to go go traveling around the world and riding around the world, um, but I had a real love for racing motorcycles, and I think deep down I didn't want to stop racing. but I'd made the decision to stop racing. And then it was when I went to visit the guys at Adventure Spec. AdventureSpec.com uh, are a good company that have helped me with my racing for years. Um, uh, and we've worked together on various projects like making DVDs, uh, riding through Morocco. And we've just like collaborated as good friends and, and kind of partners on various projects. And I went to see them to say, look, guys, I know that we've worked together so much in the past, but I'm going to stop racing. I'm going to go traveling around the world. Um, and they were like, why are you stopping racing? And I was like, well, I don't know, at least like, why do, and we'd got discussing it. And then we just said, yeah, I suppose we could race and ride around the world. That would make a great story. Um, and I've got the perfect bike for it because I wanted to carry on racing, really. So I've got a 690 Rally bike. Um, and that's how it was born, really. And I went home that night and started thinking about different names, what it would be called and stuff. And, uh, and yeah, it just it just fell into place races to it was going to be called from races to places because originally because i was going from racing and everyone knew me for racing to traveling to places and because it rhymed i was just like oh yeah let's call it from races to places and then after the discussion with adventure spec and a few friends and family and stuff i decided to drop the from and say okay i'm going to call it races to places and i'm going to ride a motorcycle around the world and race it as well so so you say you're going to race the the bike in races around the world. So what kind of races have you been participating in? And I have to point out, you've been on the road for a good, what, probably two and a half years now? Yeah, you left the spring of 2013. Two and a half years at the end of this month. Um, and I've done six international races. So, or is it five? Five maybe, yeah. So I've done the Hellas Rally in Greece, which was the European race I chose to do. Uh, 
International Rally of Mongolia, which was the Asian rally I did. Uh, I did the Fink Desert Race in Australia. And then I did the Baja Rally in Mexico, Sonora Rally in Mexico. Uh, and they're the five that I'd, I've done on the trip. And all of them on the same bike other than one. The Baja Rally I did on a 450 because I'd committed to do the race uh, with the race organizers. But I just didn't get to the point where I wanted to be on my trip to ship my bike to, to Mexico to race. So rather than miss out on the travel opportunities in New Zealand and Australia, I decided to leave my bike there, fly to USA, do the race, and then go back and carry on traveling. And that was that was a big change to the trip. But again, it was the best thing I did because I had a great time in Australia and New Zealand after the rally traveling around. So you have this KTM 690, this bike that is you've, outfitted to be able to travel on. So for those that aren't familiar with motorcycle travel, I mean, we're not just talking a race bike that he's riding around the world on. You have bags on it. You have your luggage. You have this thing, you know, suspension and seat set up to actually be comfortable and to be livable on the road. Yet you're taking the same exact machine and you're putting it into these races up against bikes that are truly race bred. You know, these are bikes that are meant just for that, that kind of race. So how did that, uh, how did that go over with people that you're up against? (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. I think, um, everyone's always really interested as to, well, why, why have you got a big metal rack on the back of your rally bike? You know, (laughs) And it's like, well, that's to carry my luggage. Yeah, but take it off for racing. Well, yeah, but it takes me like 20 minutes to get it off and get it back on again. Like, I may as well just leave it on, you know. There's no advantage from taking five kilograms of, all right, there's a tiny advantage, but um, I'd rather just leave it on. And same with a lot of the stuff like, you know, GPS mount and all the stuff I use for traveling that you don't really need for racing. Usually just leave it on. Um, And, yeah, people... I remember pulling up to Rally Mongolia and uh, actually one of my, one of my best friends now, Yuji Shinohara from Japan, um, is like the first time I met him was at Rally Mongolia because I pulled up to the to the start of the race and I had all my bags on the bike and is that it was there and for him it was like well, who's this guy that's just rolled up on a rally bike with all this luggage on and why has he got all the luggage and then he started talking to me. And then after realizing that I'd ridden all the way from the UK, he was he was like blown away and wanted to know more and and kind of wanted to be part of it. And and as it happened, we ended up traveling together in Japan. It was really good fun. Um, but I think generally people just it's just not the norm. You know, the norm is to have your bike shipped to a race event, race it, and then go home and go back to work. Whereas for me, my, the norm for me is to ride to the start of a race transform the bike race transform the bike back again and then ride to the next race you know i don't fly anywhere i just ride um and it's it's hard for people to kind of fathom it out what how how you do it but it's just it's a lot of hard work i'll say that like i've sometimes i i wish it was easier than it is (laughs) (laughs) yeah i can imagine i mean there's one there's one little good bit about that is that you can you can deal with time change a little bit you know as you're you're approaching that race and getting ready for the race you can plan ahead and get there and and your body can deal but at the same time you're riding the same bike the the whole way that's got to be pretty exhausting and then to go enter one of these races where they're obviously highly competitive that's going to be tough on you yeah, and it's it's really tough on the bike as well. I mean, it is tough on me. It's tough on the bike. Um, 
But the bike more than anything, like I, I have to hold my hand up and say, there's always something wrong with the bike. There's always something needs doing. Right. Like, whether it's paint coming off, whether it's plastics broken, whether it's the license plate gone missing, you know, some electrics not working, a wheel bearing on its way out, engine needing something. There's always something needs doing. If you, you can't like, but he, people say to me, oh, but surely if you chose something like a 1200GS, it'd be much easier. And it's like, no, I've spoken to people on those bikes and like, if if those people took those bikes on the tracks that I take my bike on, it'd probably be twice as bad. <laughs> like it's, I've, I've, I'd like, I've ridden 55, 60% off road of my trip so far. Um, so the bike gets a hammering. So sometimes when I get to the races, I have to race with like, you know, steering bearings that are on the way out and stuff. <laughs> That's, it just, I just don't have time to do it all. You just, you've got my, my ability to put up with like, less than normal <laughs> conditions of the bike has become really great. Like I can, I can deal with anything almost. Yeah. I'll bet at this point you just pretty much expect anything can happen to and just, like, just take it and roll with the punches yeah. when it does. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So you're essentially unsupported, right? You're out there riding yourself, anything that breaks, you're fixing, you're maintaining the bike at, at stops and you're even doing your own filming, right? Yeah, that's right. I do, uh, do everything myself pretty much. I've, uh, so I travelled. I've travelled with a few different people just for short term. I travelled a few months with a guy called Lucas from Austria across Europe and into Asia, um, and then I went on my own all the way down to Australia, um, and then from pretty much all of the Americas and Canada and Alaska, I did on my own. I spent a few days with an old friend that I'd met um, in Asia, hiker, German guy on an Africa twin. I actually met him in New Zealand and we did a few days together as well. But predominantly, I would say 80% of my trip now has been on my own. And like I said, you were filming. So I wanted to bring up your YouTube channel. Uh, you and Adventure Spec are, are, you have a YouTube channel filming your entire Races to Places journey. So how's that going? Yeah, it's going really well. Um, I have to say a massive thanks to Adventure Spec and anybody that watches the series. Um, to, to really, because if it wasn't for Adventure Spec, the video series wouldn't be there. Um, and, and likewise, I suppose, if it wasn't for me, because I do all the filming, but just the actual logistics of getting what I film professionally edited and getting it on YouTube is, is not a small task. It's a huge task. And uh, I think we've got 65 episodes out now on YouTube um, and some special features, all professionally edited and you know, I'm I'm really happy with the series. We've got over 10 million minutes watched now on YouTube, which is better than I ever imagined. Like it almost started for a bit of fun uh, in in the beginning uh, when I started filming, building my bike in the garage and all stuff like that. Um, and it's yeah, it's like kind of well, not going out of control. It's a good thing, you know. But it's it's <laughs> really just it's starting to escalate now. Um, more and more people are starting to see it. Uh, thanks to everyone that shares it, because the more people share it, the more, uh, more people get to know about it, um, and the more people watch it. And uh, it's it's come to a point where I've we've we've released about fifty percent of the footage that I've filmed so far. So there's another there's another sixty five episodes filmed in the bag, ready to be edited and released. But we're at a point now where 
I've I've spent so much money on it, and Adventure Spec have invested a lot of money as well. Um, and we really need to try and get some help from other people, which is why we started uh, the Patreon channel, which is basically Patreon just allows people to join as a patron and um, offer a small amount, a big amount, however much they want, towards the issuing of more material. So it basically, like, if you want to pay 50 cents towards every episode that gets released, we will set a target that says when we re- receive up to 400 US dollars per episode through donations, we'll do something extra. So we'll either release more minutes per month, we'll remove adverts, which actually we've already done. We've removed YouTube adverts now. So we hit, we hit the first target, which was, I think, $150 per episode um, through donations. And then we said, okay, we'll remove the YouTube ads. So there's no YouTube ads on new YouTube films of mine going on YouTube now. So you can just go straight into watching what you, you went to watch. Um, so everything that people donate is going to go straight back into the pot and all it's going to do is mean that you're going to get more episodes faster. So um, there's there's no like profit being made for anything. It's all just getting ploughed straight back in. So the whole Patreon thing, it's, uh, I, you probably need to advertise it a little better because a lot of people I meet and tell about Patreon, they say, oh, I didn't even know about mm-hmm. it. But um, there's a fine line between like, like ramming it down people's throats right. and just letting people know about it and um, we hope that people do see the links on the videos now that say, do you want to wish to support this series? Please contribute here. So. Yeah, and hopefully people do. I mean, you guys have been doing a great job with this series. I've been watching it, and I'm really looking forward to the to the the part of the series where you come through Colorado, through my neck of the woods. Um, yeah, I filmed all that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, good. Oh, I can't wait to see that. But you guys are doing a good job, and you're right. The ads aren't there. Um, so... You know, we go onto YouTube and we get a lot of content on there and, and it's easy to take that for granted. It's all free, you know, but somebody had to, to bankroll that and pay for that somehow. So I would definitely uh, definitely uh, request the listeners to go on and check out your, your channel. If you guys are into um, this kind of world travel and, uh, you know, you don't have to be into motorcycles, just world travel and, you know, get some inspiration yeah. to go do something like this and go check out the YouTube channel and, and pitch them a few bucks on Patreon. Uh, I love yeah. to see these things born like this and things that, that keep going because the public can sit there and help uh, just by throwing a little bit of pocket change at you. Yeah, and it's all, all the all the episodes are free. So whatever people choose to contribute, um, the, the, the product, whatever comes out of the channel will be free. You know, it's continue to be free. It's just a way of people showing their appreciation for the effort that's gone into it and hopefully bring more to YouTube because that's what we want to do. I mean, I, I look at where I'm at at the moment. Like, I'm currently sat in the USA, uh, ready to head into Mexico, and we haven't even got to Australia yet on my video series. So, you know, there's so much more to be edited and I can't wait to get it all edited and get it released because there's so much good stuff to come that I filmed in Australia and New Zealand and through Indonesia and all of North America, Canada, Alaska, all of it. So I look forward to bringing all that out on YouTube as well. Very cool. Well, I look forward to following you and, uh, and seeing it myself. So, well, let's talk about the route that you've taken. Um, you left the UK, like we said, back in the spring of 2014, and you had a little bit of a rough start um, down at the Hellas Rally. So tell us about that. What happened there? Yeah, I did um, uh, probably 
le- probably less than two weeks. I think probably only a week into my trip. My fir- that's what started, that set the start date was that I needed to do the Hellas Rally was my first race on the trip. So I was going to ride from the UK to Greece, race the Hellas Rally and then continue across to Asia. Um, and that didn't quite go to plan on day three of the Hellas Rally. I dislocated my shoulder, which... Um, put me in a lot of pain and uh, worse of all I didn't realize that it was dislocated and I'm a pretty uh, determined guy and I carried on racing like 200 and some kilometers to the end of the stage knowing that something wasn't right every time I hit a bump there was a sharp like somebody was stabbing a knife in my shoulder Um, but I just kind of thought ah it's all right I can still open the throttle and stuff it'll be okay Um, and then eventually got to the end Got it sorted out, went for x-ray at the hospital and uh, they said, okay, it's all back in place and everything, nothing to worry about now. It's just you you will have some soft tissue damage. Um, you need to rest up. So I went back to the rally headquarters thinking that I was going to get on the bike the next day and go racing until I woke up at four o'clock in the morning, um, needed to go to the bathroom and tried to get out of bed and was almost sick with the pain <laughs> that I realized, oh, I'm not going to be riding today. <laughs> Maybe time off is so a good idea. Yeah, so it was uh, it was the first rally that I've never finished, and I was really, really annoyed that it was due to injury. Um, and I ended up taking a couple of weeks off to rest, and, and then I didn't have time to fly home to get any surgery or get anything done. So I just wanted to do my trip because it's what I'd set out to do. So I just carried on riding um, all the way across to... Mongolia where my next race was in Mongolia um, and I carried on and I did that race uh, in some minor discomfort but it was getting a little bit better by then Uh, and then I continued south to Australia and I think by the time I got to Australia my shoulder was starting to heal which was about a year after uh, it was first injured. Okay so you left UK went to Greece and then Mongolia and then down to Australia where have you been uh, after that to date? Uh, so I went to, yeah, I rode all the way down through Asia, did loads of stuff in Asia on the way to Australia, um, some great filming and stuff I did down there. Uh, and then Australia, I did 32,000 kilometers around Australia, uh, north, south, east, west, crossed the center twice, loads of off-road, uh, really had a good time, went to Tasmania, and then I crossed over to New Zealand and did 15,000 kilometers around there, uh, North Island, South Island, pretty much every off-road track I could find in the South Island I did um, uh, and then I shipped to uh, America where I rode down to Mexico to race the bar now to race the Sonora Rally finished fifth in the Sonora Rally and then I rode all the way up to um, Prudhoe Bay in Alaska uh, and then came down from there and went up to the Arctic Circle in Canada to Inuvik and then worked my way back down through Canada uh, and then I picked up the Continental Divide and then a load of backcountry discovery routes across the USA. So I just worked my way down from Montana, Idaho area, all the way down to New Mexico, Texas, to where I am now in Texas, in El Paso. Uh, I just worked my way down, like using Continental Divide, backcountry discovery routes, well-known adventure rides, just piecing them all together to, to make up a route, really. Oh, very cool. So you actually went uh, north to south uh, through Colorado. Then did you actually follow the 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 actual uh, continental? Or I mean, sorry, the backcountry discovery route through Colorado. Yeah, I started a bit of it in the north, and then I took a detour across to um, 
I took a detour across to Denver, uh, went to see Woody's Wheel Works mm-hmm. and some friends over there. Uh, and then I went back and picked up the route south again. And then I pretty much followed it all the way down um, until I got to, I did a load of passes. Um, well, I sort of got to, I went down to, oh, where did I go? Salida. So I worked my way down to Salida doing a load of fun stuff around there. Um, and then I sort of headed west um, across and did did all like Engineers Pass and and all of that all that Black Bear Pass and that region around there. Um, the famous is it Alpine Loop and stuff like that. Right. There. That was really great. And riding around there was awesome. And I was with my friend from the UK. He joined me for four weeks on a rally bike as well. Um, my friend Eddie from the UK. And so that was, it was really nice to travel with someone for a change. You know, I spent a lot of time on my own, so it was nice to be with someone again. Um, we had a great time. We both ride very similar. We both race, so we both enjoy riding fast. So <laughs> we had a lot of fun. Uh, and then I did, I did some road book riding and training um, close to Salida, south, southwest of Salida. And then, again, picked up the uh, backcountry discovery route. But then I peeled off and went across to Utah and spent some time in Utah before heading south again. Very cool. Yeah, that area through the San Juans, the whole uh, Engineer Pass Alpine Loop area is beautiful. We uh, we just finished that this summer. I have a F800GS that I uh, used on that, and uh, it's just a gorgeous area. So what I wanted well, to ask you, having seen this much territory, how does that compare to what you've seen around the rest of the world on your, on your ride? Yeah, um... <laughs> It's really, for, for me, Utah was probably one of the most spectacular places I've ridden. The places that I rode in Utah were really out there um, and found some awesome places. And this the whole scenery thing just like blew me away where you're totally on your own. There's no one else around. And all you can see is these massive rock formations and, you know, uh, big valleys and all sorts, far as you can see. And that was like really spectacular. Um, Colorado is also beautiful, um, and there's more places in the world a little bit like Colorado. Um, you know, I think like Kyrgyzstan was very green and rolling hills and awesome scenery and views. Um, you know, and and I can relate that to some places like Colorado as well. Um, it just it's it's hard to compare it because I always say like everywhere's everywhere you go is beautiful part of the is being there and experiencing it you know um and i think in terms of like mountainous scenery tajikistan in in asia was probably the most spectacular um because i was riding at like four and a half thousand feet uh, four and a half thousand meters um and the scenery around me the mountains around me were at like seven thousand plus with big snow crevices on them and that that was really spectacular, um, but I do think Utah took some beating. If I'm honest, mm-hmm. like Utah was, yeah, Utah is absolutely amazing. And I see you assume you're talking about the the Moab area by the description yes, of the correct. rocks. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely gorgeous. I'm taking my mountain bike out there in another week here, and uh, just look forward to it. I'm ready. Spent three. We spent three days in. We just camped out in Moab, um, and we just did 
big loops out of Moab and it was just awesome. Like unbelievable scenery. Yeah, it is like nothing else out there. Well, it's cool. You mentioned uh, Tajikistan. I asked that question because I'd like to know where else, you know, overseas I, I would like to, to point my front tire and, and go ride yeah. someday. So I have to go check that just- out. For, for the problem with like places like Tajikistan is it's like it's a ride through it kind of thing. It's not an well, you can explore around it, but it was kind of a ride through for me. Um, the the place I would always recommend to people is South Island, New Zealand, like because you can fly there, you can hire a bike, you can ride for two and a half weeks and do pretty much the whole of the South Island, and it's it's amazing. I mean, everything from glaciers to swimming in the ocean, you've got everything there. Um, it was it was really nice with South Island, New Zealand. Well, the North Island was too, but I really enjoyed the South Island. Yeah, that's another destination I need to get to. My wife has been over there and uh, did some yeah. bungee jumping over there while she was there and absolutely fell in love with it. So one of these days I got to get yeah, down I there. Not doing the bungee jumping. I should have done that. <laughs> <laughs> I went to one place. Um, and I looked at the sort of valley that you jump off this bridge and I just like, yeah, I don't really need to do that. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's what it was. I think it was the, it was in, um, Taupo, New Zealand. Yeah. yeah and that was uh, supposed to be, at least at that time, it was the, the highest, uh, overwater bungee jump you could, uh, you could take on. So yeah, I rode past it, but yeah, I didn't really feel like stopping and jumping off it. <laughs> Next time you got to try bungee jumping. It's a, that is an absolute blast. I've done that before up yeah. in uh, British Columbia. You definitely got to try that one. Next time you have the opportunity. Yeah. All right. Well, we talked about a time when things didn't go bad with the, uh, or didn't go right with the Hellas rally and dislocating your shoulder. What about, um, your most amazing experience on this journey two and a half years and many, many, many miles. Um, what would you say that the highlight has been so far? Yeah, that's really hard to say because um, there's so many highlights. I think, in terms of racing, it was coming second at the Baja Rally. That was uh, that was pretty amazing because um, I was on the big rally bike, and you know, nearly everyone else was on the enduro bikes. And to muscle that thing through and get second place was a really nice feeling. And to be only like 17 minutes off the leader, I was. I was kind of gutted I couldn't push a bit more and get the win, but I was happy to get second, and I didn't expect it. Um, but I think in terms of traveling, um, the most memorable experiences for me are things like um, when I've been invited into people's homes, like complete strangers, like in the middle of, like in Tajikistan in the mountains, you know, when you get invited into somebody's house that doesn't speak English, and um, they're offering you food, and they don't want anything for it. They just want to understand who you are, where you're from, what you're doing here, um, and to just meet somebody from a different country with a different color skin and a different like appearance and different hair color. And it's just for them, it's just amazing. They don't, obviously don't see people that often going through those places. Um, yeah, and, and some experience, other things I can think of is like, you know, camping on the remote beaches, you know, just pulling onto a beach and camping. And there's nobody about and you just make your own dinner and you just have a walk up the beach and you just like, I'm actually in the middle of nowhere and I never even knew this place existed. And if I hadn't traveled around the world, I'd have never found it. So, yeah, those types of things. That's cool. Well, you're definitely a busy guy. I mean, I caught up with you on the way back from Japan. So after you had come through this area and headed back down to uh, Texas, like you mentioned, you got on a plane, went over to Japan and rode a couple races over there, right? Yeah, I did um, I did a two-day enduro, two-day national enduro in Japan. Um, 
uh, for KTM Japan. I got invited over there to race. Um, and that was that was a really great experience. I mean, it was. Um, I'm actually making a special feature about it, so there's a video coming out about it as well. Um, it was really great to ride enduro again. It was four years since I threw my leg over an enduro bike and raced it. Um, so it was really nice to go and race an enduro bike again. Um, so, and then from there, I, I went to China, which was my first time to China. Um, and I was a guest rider at a T3 competition, which is a little bit like the GS Challenge, where they have teams of three uh, KTM riders, and it's teams of three. It's organized by KTM, and um, they go through an obstacle course, and they're timed on the slowest rider. So it's the when when all three get to the finish line, that's the time they get. Um, and I went as a guest rider there and uh, did some demo laps and hung out with all the riders and went practicing and riding up in the mountains with them and it was it was a great time and just uh, nice to be in China for the first time as well and and that was on a big bike that was on 1190R um, and then flew back to Texas to pick the bike up well do a load of work on the bike and then get back on the road again. Right, right. Yeah, definitely busy. So do you have support dealing with the, the carnets and the visas? Or is this? did you just have to put all this together and just be really good about sticking to the route that you had laid out? Because, I mean, these things, at least the visas, they expire, you know, at certain points. So yeah, you have to... do it. I do it. No, I do it all myself. Um, the, the, the hardest part was the bit across to Russia. So from the UK to Russia, there's a lot of visas. Um, but it took me two months to get them all together and you plan your you plan your trip around your visas so if the if the longest you can get a visa is three months then what you will do is you'll just say right these are the countries i want to travel to and you overlap the visas so you've got option of staying a bit longer in one country than the next you know you don't put them all together because if anything happens then you can't do anything so you, you just overlap them and i think only once i had to kind of rush out of a country and that was in Tajikistan um, because my visa was running out. But, you know, it, generally it was no rush. It was just a, an enjoyable ride, timescale set by what I planned to do. But since I got to Russia, once I got out of Russia, um, and Russia was the hardest visa to get because I got a three, a one-year multiple entry business visa because I wanted to go into Russia in three different places. So that's the only way to do it. Um, but after I got out of Russia, I just now I just play it as I go along. You know, I just I kind of figure out, oh, I'm going to cross into so and so in three weeks' time. I better have a look and see what I need to do. You know, and then look it up on the internet. And oh, I need to go to the embassy and find the nearest embassy. Go there and just figure it out. I mean, it what seems like a massive deal before you set off on one of these trips. After a year, eighteen months on the road, you just like visas, carnets, <laughs> like. Oh. <laughs> You can sort that out. DHL will help you get a carne from, you know, A to B in three days. Like everything, just it's, it's no big deal. Like I'm, I'm sat here now in Texas with a carne that's expired. I've got a new one. I went to the customs office to try and get it stamped over, and they couldn't do it. And normally people would be freaking out about that, and I'm just like, it's just a carne. It's just a piece of paper. I mean, I'm going to get it sorted in the next few days. No need to worry right. about it. Well, that's funny. I, mean, yeah. I imagine a trip like that just kind of beats it into you. Just It's just one of the things you deal with on the trip. I mean, before heading out, like you said, you're just kind of stressing about this stuff and, and worrying about whether you get all the paperwork together in time and if you have them staggered the correct way so that you can make the trip as you planned it. But like you said, you just get into it and eventually you just deal with it. You know, you roll with the punches as you go. Yeah. 
Yeah, very cool. exactly. So yeah. you're in El Paso now, and you're ultimately heading south uh, to the 2017 Dakar Rally in for January, right? Okay. Yeah, that's it. Um, big plans to do the Dakar again. Um, I never thought, honestly, I never thought in a million years that I would, <laughs> I would end up doing the Dakar again. I thought it was done. Um, but it just, I was riding along in Australia last year. Um, and I remember just thinking like, it was about November time last year. What am I going to do when I get to the American continent? Because in South America, I need to do a race because I want to do a race on every continent. That's the whole idea. Um, and there's not that many races to choose from. And timing wise, looking at my schedule, long distance makes sense to do the Dakar, but do I really want to do the Dakar again? I'm like, yeah, I really do. And, uh, I was like, right, well, I know as well as anyone, cause I've done it before the, one of the biggest parts is deciding to do it in the first place. Like people always ask me, what's the hardest part of your trip? And I always say the decision to do it in the right. first place. What was the hardest part about Dakar? The decision to do it in the first place. Because once you commit to it and you're going for it, you're going to do it. You're going to achieve it. And so really it was just about committing to achieving that goal and doing it again. And, you know, I worked hard at it. I worked hard at many different options about how to do the race. And I decided to do it Malimoto to save money uh, and also because I can manage it all myself. So I don't have to worry about a team you know, I don't have to think about a team. I just got myself to deal with. And uh, while it's going to be really hard work, it was an extra challenge and I wanted to do it unsupported again. So um, last time I did it with a team, the Dakar Rally, this time I'm going to do it all on my own. So I'll be doing all my own servicing and tires and everything. Um, so it is going to be different this time um, and harder, but that's what it's about. I mean, it's no good making it the same as last time. Uh, I'll make it different and I want to make it a cool story as well uh, uh, for people to follow. So that's what I'm planning right, to do. Right on. Well, good luck with that. I plan on following along and seeing how well you do. And uh, taking fifth in the yeah. Sonora Rally and second in Baja, then uh, I think you stand a pretty good chance out there. <laughs> It'd be neat to see. Yeah, my, my pace is good. I just, need to, I just need to keep it together and don't get over my head and don't have any crashes and don't get lost, you know, <laughs> like uh, – all, all the things that you need to do as a rally rider that we all know that we all go out there and push harder than we should. So I just need to just tone it back a little bit. And uh, my, my absolute number one aim is to finish. Um, and I'd really like to win the Malamoto class. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. I imagine that's probably one of the, the harder aspects about it. You're obviously a very competitive person. So how do you lay off the throttle just a little bit to make sure you're going to get through the race, especially being unsupported and knowing that you know, once you get into, uh, into the, the rest points that, uh, that you still have work to do. Yeah. Um, and then to survive the thing so that you can continue on with your races to, uh, races to places trip. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I don't know how I'm going to do that, but I'm going to try. <laughs> Well, you've done it so far, so I imagine you won't have any problem making it. So you're going to do the Dakar in January, and then you're not done with races to places. So where do you head from there? Uh, From there, I'm probably going to spend some time. Maybe I'm going to ride down to the southern tips, uh, to Tua del Fuego. Um, And once I've been down there, I probably would like to do a little bit of touring around Brazil maybe. I've not really given it much thought. I really want to get down and do the race. You know, ride, ride into the start of the race is going to be difficult enough. Um, I've got 
just short of three months to get all the way down to Paraguay. Um, so I've got to get moving. And uh, and then after once I finish South America, then I'm going to ship over to South Africa and ride home from there. And uh, my plan is, well, my plan is pretty much firm that uh, I plan to ride the Africa Eco Race in 2018, January 2018, on the way home. Um, so in t- sometime in 2018, I am to arrive home back in the UK. Man, that is one heck of a journey. <laughs> what an amazing trip, though. That's so cool. So once you're back in the UK, um, what are you thinking? You know, at this point, you've completed races to places. Anything you're you're setting your sights on yet, or you think you just yeah, take a well, breather? I might get back to the UK. I might make a detour first. Uh, I've 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 got India in mind and also China now, um, so th- there's there's another loop that might get added in. Um, I might also go home and then just go and do those two in separate trips. Um, but I think I think I will keep races to places alive, and I'll definitely keep traveling and probably definitely keep bringing media out and stuff. I, I really enjoy what I'm doing, and if I can keep doing it for some more time, then I will do. Yeah, it's hard to imagine. You get it. You're this far into this trip. It's hard to imagine even stopping at this point. I mean, I could, you know, just taking a small, you know, long backpacking trip or a long ride. You, 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 when you, once you finally get into it and you're learning, you're living off the road and you're in your element, it's just the, the thought of even stopping all of that and going back to some other normal life doesn't, doesn't even equate. So I imagine now that you've started this, you'll probably never stop it. You know, it will always be alive to, to one extent or another. Yeah, no, no, you know, even now I've got so much work to do on the bike. I really dislike working on the bike and it's hot and there's so much to do and I've got to leave in a few days. But as soon as I get on the road, there's a smile on my face. I get back into filming and I start enjoying meeting people and enjoying the travel experience again. And you, and then you just realize why you just put all that effort into getting ready to go again. You know, it's just, it's an amazing experience. <laughs> well, it's got to be sweet to, to finally get back on the road. Well, you got some work to do on your bike, so I will let you go and, and get to that so you can get off on the, the right schedule. Yeah. And uh, man, Lyndon, thanks so much for, for taking the time to, uh, to share your journey with us. And I hope you guys go out and check out uh, his YouTube channel. Just look up uh, Lyndon Poskitt, P-O-S-K-I-T-T. On YouTube, you can look up Adventure Spec. You can find them there and find that Patreon link as well. I'll put all of these links in our show notes so you can get to them quite easily. So, Lyndon, for your time, I appreciate it. Yeah. And if anyone wants to follow me daily, they can follow me on Facebook. It's quite, I've got Lyndon Poskett Racing on Facebook, is where I kind of post something every day on there. So, a bit more real time. Okay, cool. We will definitely find that link and get that under the, the notes as well. So want people to, to find out who you are, where you are, and how to follow you. So, All right, buddy. Well, right. good luck on the rest of your journey. I can't wait to see where it takes you, and good luck in the Dakar. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Thank you. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at And until then, get out there, 
and have some fun.